this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. He's ready now. Welcome you on the stage, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, James. I'm ready. Whether my iPad is ready remains to be seen. You just had one of those moments. One of those moments that was, you know, I wish I had paper as well, type moments. Those of you who've done presentations, you know, you know what I mean. When you're relying on some technology to to see you through. It's all good. Well, if you're here for the first time this morning, you've chosen a particularly good week to be here. So, well done. It's a particularly good week to be here because we're right at the very beginning of a new preaching series. I was expecting a little bit more than that, but there we are. So, it's right at the beginning of our journey uh, that we're going to be making through the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And uh, let me give you a little bit of background first to put things in, in context for you. Greek Corinth was actually destroyed by the Romans uh, in 146 BC. But it was refounded by Julius Caesar in 44 BC. And it quickly became one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire. And it was capital of the province of Achaia. Now, scholars estimate... Any scholars in the house this morning? Yeah, yeah a few scholars. So, scholars, they estimate that the population of Corinth at this time would have been around about 250,000 free people. Free as in not slaves. So, around a quarter of a million which is pretty similar to the population of Derby, give or take. So, similar size in terms of population of free persons. However, scholars also estimate there would have also been around about 400,000 slaves on top of that. Which is a massive population, isn't it? Far bigger than the population of free people. So Corinth was a significant trading city. It was an important city of its day. It was a city whose people loved Greek culture and philosophy. Perhaps the most famous temple in Corinth was one dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and her worshippers practiced religious prostitution. And that led to immorality in the city and in in time we see in scripture that also led to problems in the church and we'll come to that in subsequent weeks. The Corinth in many ways I think was was pretty much like any other, any British city that you might come across today. It was a mix of peoples, a mix of cultures, a mix of backgrounds and a mix of values. And the issues that the church in Corinth were facing are actually issues that we face today in 21st century Britain. 
And so I believe actually this will be a timely journey for us, an instructive one, as we seek to spend uh, the next little while in this apostolic letter by Paul. Now it's also worth saying as we, as we introduce this series that the church in Corinth was a church that loved the Spirit, that loved the presence of God. I mean, they were charismatic with a capital C. I mean, they just loved things of the Spirit. They didn't always handle it so well. And we'll see that again in subsequent weeks. And Paul has to bring some clear instruction and correction to them. But what's interesting, he doesn't tell them to dial down the presence of God, but rather he tells them to use spiritual gifts correctly and gives them some guidelines and instructions on how to do that. But he doesn't say cut it out, dial it down. He says, go for God, go for his presence, pursue him, but do it in the right way. Now we actually first come across uh, Paul and Corinth not in this letter, but in the book of Acts. Now, Acts 18, we don't have time to look at it this morning, but let me tell you, Acts 18 tells us about Paul leaving Athens and going to Corinth. We read about Silas and Timothy joining him there as well. We read about Aquila and Priscilla, the tent makers, that Paul stayed with. We read about how Crispus, the ruler of the Jewish synagogue, and his entire household believed and were baptised. Then in Acts 18, verse 9, we get to this, it says this, One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So I was preparing this week, and I was looking at this passage in the book of Acts, and I was looking at the beginning of 1 Corinthians as well. And I was re- reading this passage in Acts. I felt God speak to me and highlight that verse, verse 10. Where God says to Paul, I have many people in this city. I just felt God highlight that to me. And actually speak that over us this morning. It's like I heard the Father say, I have many people in this city. And I believe it's a promise for us. It's a promise for other churches in this city as well that we know and love and seek to honour and work with. It's not unique to us, but I do feel God would say, I have many people in this city. You know what, that should give us confidence, friends. It should give us confidence in stepping out, in sharing our faith, in praying for people, because God is at work and he is ahead of us. Amen? God says he has many people in this city. He is at work ahead of us where we can't see. In lives and hearts that we don't know about yet, God is at work even before we are. Isn't that good? So actually all we do as we start to share our faith, as we pray for people, as we talk to people around, is we catch up with what God's doing and get to see who it is that he's working in already. I feel that's God's words over us this morning. I have many people in this city. So, let's get into 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please, we might want to click, scroll, or 
if you've still got the old-fashioned type like I have, you can turn to it. There you go, Dave, well done. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start reading at verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you can say you were baptised into my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise that to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be empty of its power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your written word here as we've read it. And we pray as we spend these moments considering it together that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and be our teacher. Give us ears to hear from you this morning. Give us hearts that are open to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you might want to leave the, uh, the passage open in front of you as we refer to it as we, as we go through. So the first few verses here make it clear who the letter is from and who it's to. It's like Paul's headed paper, if you like. And context is important to us. You need to understand context when you read the Bible. Is it a letter? If so, who's it from and who's it to? That's helpful to know that. Then you can look back as we've done already, going, oh, it's to the, the church in Corinth. Oh, yeah, we read about Corinth in the book of Acts. And you can flip back and see what the link is and see what's going on there. So it's important we don't skip over those verses and say they're not relevant. Actually, they are relevant because they help us understand some things. So it's from Paul to the church of God in Corinth, together with all those everywhere. So you and I might not be in Corinth this morning, but we are in everywhere. Would you agree? So actually what Paul is saying to them, he is also saying this morning to us as well. So let's not miss it. 
Then he goes on in verses 4 through to 9 to, to thank God because of his grace given them in Christ Jesus. You know, I find it fascinating, friends. If you think about it, if you know anything about the church in Corinth, and you'll, you'll see it as we spend the next few weeks looking at the letter, you'll see there are a whole load of problems there. There are all sorts of issues that Paul needed to address. You know, I can imagine he had a long list. You know, in his mind, at least if not written down, thinking, got to talk to him about this, got to talk to him about that, there's this issue and that issue, and so the list would go on. There were a lot of problems that Paul needed to address in this church. There was lots that was wrong. Lots, actually, that he needed to confront and put right. But isn't it interesting that Paul's first thought is not to do that, but rather to thank God for them. I find interesting. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. You know, I wouldn't have blamed Paul if he went straight in there. You know, he did do that sometimes. You think about the letter to Galatians, he says, bang, straight in there. But with these guys, he's thanking God for them. Thanking God for God's grace in their lives. His work in their hearts. You know, I think it's such an important lesson for us to learn, dear friends. Here's Paul with a long list of things that are not right about the church in Corinth. What's the first thing he does? Is thank God for them. I thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Now let's make sure that we're thanking God for one another. And looking for the work of God's grace in one another's lives. So the prayer meeting this week, we spent a few moments encouraging Paul oh, he's there, for stepping out last Sunday prophetically and bringing something that he felt God had spoken to him about. If you were here, you might recall he, he felt God had given him somebody's phone number and he brought it. It's on the stage. A little nervously, if I might say, but not as nervously as it would be if it was me, and um, he said, oh, I felt God's given me this phone number. It might mean something to somebody. And somebody responded afterwards. It meant something. I think it was one digit out. We'll let, we'll let you have that. Um, and it meant something. It was important. God was speaking. Wonderful. He might not have known that somebody responded. They did. So we wanted to encourage and affirm Paul. We were looking for the evidence of God's grace at work in someone's life. And we looked for it, and we picked it out, and we rejoiced in it. And we said, that's good. That's good. We can see what God's doing. Now, we did that last Sunday, and actually would have done that, and we did do it, regardless of if anybody had responded or not. Because that isn't the issue. The issue is here's someone who's trusting God and stepping out. So that's the evidence of God's grace. The fact that it got it right, well, that's a bonus. Okay? So it's not that we're rejo- we are rejoicing about that, but actually we're rejoicing about God's grace, his work in someone's life. And so we took some moments to do that at the prayer meeting this week, which was great. But this made me think, I wonder how good are we at doing that? So what's Paul doing? He's got this long list of things to correct about the Corinthian church. First thing he does is he thanks God for them and for God's grace at work in their lives. How good are we at doing that? When was the last time you or I looked for evidence of God's grace 
in someone's life rather than see the evidence of someone's rebellion or problems or sin or whatever it might be? Are we going out of our way to look for the evidence of God's grace? Friends, we want Jubilee to be a community, to be a church that is full of encouragement. Amen? Don't you want to be part of a church? Listen, I want to be part of a church like that. And my guess is that you do too. We're going to be part of a church that is full of encouragement, full of people looking for the evidence of God's grace at work in one another's lives and calling it out and saying, so good what you did, well done for stepping out. I, I can see God moving you. I'm so pleased to see that. I'm so excited to see what God's doing. Are we doing that? Because... My guess is that if you want to be part of a church like that, and I think you do, and I certainly do, that will only happen if we start doing it for another. So my suggestion is this, if, if you want to be part of a church like that, and I think we do, and we want to be receiving that sort of encouragement, then that will only happen as we start to do it. As we start to look upon one another and say, you know what, I just see the, the evidence of God's grace in you. I can just see what God's doing in your life. Now, I could do that now. You know, we could spend the rest of the morning just saying it's so good to see what's, what good God's doing in different people's lives. You know, it was thrilling to see so many of you serving at Devoted just a few weeks ago, stepping out and leading our movement of churches in different things. To see Brad on stage in front of a couple of thousand people talking about some prophetic art that he'd done. To see John and Val leading in that whole area, not just moving us on as a church, but moving Christ Central as a family of churches on together. To see Paul go, go to a seminar stream and learn some stuff and go, not just go, well that was nice, I've learned some things, but to go, well I'm going to do it now. And I'm going to step out. How good are we at doing that? In the New Testament, Barnabas was great at this. You look up Barnabas in the New Testament. Actually, it's not his real name anyway, it's his nickname. It means son of encouragement, one who encourages. Actually, Barnabas was the one that saw God's grace at work in Paul's life and went to get him and said, come with me. I think God's got something for you to do. You know what? I sometimes think, where would we be now? What would our Bible look like if Barnabas hadn't gone to get Paul? A good proportion of the New Testament is letters written by the Apostle Paul. If Barnabas had had an off day, now, okay, I know God is sovereign. He could have sent him again or sent someone else. I know that. Just bear with me. But you know, because of Barnabas hearing from God and saying, I can just see God at work in you. Why don't you come with me? Let's see what God's going to do. As a result of that, we find churches planted, nations reached. We find much of our New Testament letters written by Paul because Barnabas saw the grace of God in his life. I wonder, what are you going to see in one another? And call out and affirm and bless and encourage. What could God do through that I wonder I wonder Alex and Vicky can you stand up for a moment I, d- I just feel that just talking about this I just feel that 
I'd love us to pray for you afterwards. I, I just feel this morning that, I just, just as I'm looking around, thinking about evidences of God's grace, so I can just see that all over you. The evidences of God's grace at work in your life. And it's so thrilling, Alex, to see you, you know, more recently make a decision to respond to Christ. And I just feel God would say to you this morning that he has an exciting future for you. One that perhaps you've never imagined or could have dreamed of. But because you give space for him to work in your life, because you both have a heart that is open to him, God says, I can use that, and I'm going to use that. I feel this morning God wants to encourage you to stay close to him, to keep listening to him, and who knows what God's going to do through that. But it's just great to see the evidence of God's grace upon your life. I just feel God will want to commend you and encourage you for that and say, keep going. Amen. Let's make sure we pray for you guys afterwards. So, where are we? I've lost my notes. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? You can see now Barnabas having gone get Paul, gone to get him. Now Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, encouraging them. I can imagine in his mind, he's like, oh yeah, I remember Barnabas doing that for me. Are we doing that, friends? And as well as looking for evidences of God's grace at work in people's lives, Paul is thanking God for the Corinthians. And maybe in his mind he names some of those that he knows. I wonder, when was the last time you thanked God for someone by name? When was the last time you said, God, thank you for so-and-so in, in Jubilee? Are you doing that? Are we doing that together? I think the challenge for us is to make that a regular practice, not an occasional remembrance. Let's be thankful to God for who he has added to us and who he is adding to us even currently. Be thankful for, to God for those that he's put around you who love and care for you. We thank God this morning for new life and for babies and growing families. It's thrilling. Just thank God for that. And then Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gifts. And this was clearly true of the Corinthian church. And they had spiritual gifts in in, in stack loads. I mean, just skip loads of spiritual gifts were at work in the Corinthian church. They needed some lessons in learning how to use them, but there was certainly an abundance of spiritual gifts. And what that means is the sort of gifts that God gives to his children to help them follow him and to be able to step out and to bless others. So things like gifts of prophecy, we've talked about things like gifts of healing and miracles. They were all at work in the Corinthian church here. And I find it interesting that Paul is thanking God for the very thing that's caused so many problems. It's some of those things that have caused an issue in the Corinthian church, but Paul is still thanking God for them. You see, the way to correct incorrect use of spiritual gifts is not to ban them, not to clamp down on them, but to teach into it and to model it well and to help people learn how to use them. That's what we seek to do here. That's what we we try and do. Try to do that week in, week out. Do that in small groups. Do that on a Sunday. Give space for God to be at work amongst us. There was no lack there for the in the Corinthian church. They just needed to learn how to use the gifts properly. 
And so for us, I want us to create an environment where we're open to that and learning together how to use these things. But Paul then goes on in verses 10 through to 17, starting to open up a theme that he'll come back to later in the letter, the issue of divisions in the church. And clearly there's some issues right at the beginning of this letter that he's urging his readers to be united. Now he'll come back to the detail a bit later, but right at the beginning he's putting it out there saying, listen, we need to talk about this. This is an issue for you, he's saying to the Corinthians. I need to get this one right. And divisions in churches today are are equally serious. So Paul appeals to them as brothers in the Lord to agree with one another that there may be no divisions. You see, disagreements that are not handled well can cause disunity, which can go on to cause division. It's like it's a slippery slope. Disagreement, disunity, division. That's often the trajectory. And so there's a warning to the Corinthians to take this seriously. Paul comes back to it again in chapter 3. So in Paul's day, unity was a massive issue. And you know what? In our day, unity is a massive issue as well. So in the same way that Paul appealed to the Corinthians, I want to appeal to us to make sure that we're united as well. Don't let the devil cause disagreements, disunity, and division. Because you know what? He wants to. And we need to watch out for it and be careful about it. Let's stay alert to his plans. Be aware of them. He's out to sow seeds of disunity at every opportunity. So we need to make sure that in our hearts we don't give them any space to grow. So the church is the bride of Christ. So we should highly value and cherish her. So let's seek to do all we can do to protect God's church and the unity within it. There are very few people, now there are some, I admit, but very few set out to cause disunity. But what starts off as grumblings and murmurs soon turn to quarrels and disagreements and can too easily become divisive and bring disunity. So let's watch for that thing. Let's make sure that doesn't happen amongst us. Elsewhere, Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 4. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort It's something that you need to work at, isn't it? It's something we need to work at together. It doesn't happen automatically. Paul says to the Ephesians, make every effort, work hard at it. And I feel he would say the same to us this morning. And so I want us to express our unity and to be proactive. It's not just a reactive thing, but it can be a proactive thing as well. Remember, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So one of our core values is to love one another. It's so important. Now, if you're in a relationship this morning, you'll know that love needs to be expressed. It's not just any good expressing it once and hoping that will see you through the next 20 years. 
needs to be expressed often. And just as we have to express our love to uh, our partners, our, our spouses, if we're married, we need to express love to those in the church as well. Now, it might be in words or in an act of service or a gift or whatever it is, it needs to be expressed. We can't just say, oh yeah, we love one another. We need to do something about it. I think most of us here this morning would say, yes, we love one another in the church. Most of us would sign off on that. But the question is, what are we actually doing then about it? I want to suggest to us that if we put that into practice well, that will increase unity. That will increase unity. And remember, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us what we need to live in this way. And as we become more sensitive to him, as we learn to hear his voice, you're more likely to then be encouraging and loving those around you. When we talk of loving one another, it's actually only possible because God has first loved us. Maybe you're visiting us this morning. Maybe you're uh, a guest with Adam and Anna. Maybe you're new to the city for work or study. Or maybe you just happen to come along. Whichever category you're in, you're really welcome. And in fact, if you come regularly, you're really welcome as well, just to be clear. But let me tell you this. There really isn't anything that special about us. The group of people that we call Jubilee Church is not the cleverest group of people in the city. It's not the wisest or richest or the trendiest, prettiest or anything else. I know there are exceptions, but I'm talking... But listen, what we are is a community of people that God has called together. Who have received and experienced his love. And as we receive and experience his love, we get to give it away to one another and to those who don't know Jesus yet as well. And if you're just looking in this morning, I want to invite you to come and be part of the family. Come and be part of that journey with us. Jesus said this in John chapter 3. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God is a father who loves to give gifts. Loves to give gifts to his children. But listen, the best gift that he ever gave, or indeed will give, is the gift of relationship with himself. Being adopted into his family, the son or daughter. And that's only possible because he gave the gift of his son. God has done everything required for you to have a relationship with him. For you to be able to talk to him as your father. For you to be known, for you to know that you are loved and accepted, forgiven by Him. All you need to do is to accept it. So this morning, we've celebrated the gift of Joseph and who he is to Adam and Anna and their family and indeed to us together. They've made some promises about being parents. Adam has made some promises about being a father.
But the very best father that Joe will ever know is his heavenly father who loved him even before Adam and Anna even thought about having children. Who loved him even before the world was made. And that heavenly father wants to adopt you into his family as well. So perhaps as the band could come back up, please, I'd love us to worship as we close our time together. But as we've begun our journey into the letter to the church at Corinth, I encourage us, friends, this morning to take note of how Paul starts it. Let's be careful. Let's look for unity. Let's work hard at unity in the church. Let's look for the evidences of God's grace at work in one another. And when we see it, bless it. Thank God for it. Thank God for that person and bless what he is doing. Just as Barnabas was such an encouragement and went to get Paul, wouldn't it be good if we were all like Barnabas and sought to encourage the work of God in one another? Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.